Good morning. Good morning again. You are in for a treat because we have, I want to say that he's like the founding fathers over everybody of hope, <laughs> near and dear to my hearts, of course. Um, Pastor Dwayne and Sherry Cross have um, been one of the founding um, pastors here at Hope for a long time, 22 years. Got this right this time. Um, but he's going to be able to uh, share the word uh, this morning with a great uh, message, just in line with gratitude. So let's welcome Pastor Dwayne. This is how we do it. Yeah, that was, song was not allowed in our house in the 1990s when I had teenagers, and now we, now we play it in church. That's good. I like that. Well, good morning, all. Uh, it's uh, wonderful to be here. Um, this feels, feels both familiar and uh, wonderful and um, blessed to be here. I'm really thankful to Doug for the opportunities he gives me to serve here. It's, uh, it's a real blessing. So um, I've, I've, I preach about once every three to four weeks, here, either here or at other churches that invite me. And it's really strange because uh, when I was preaching every week uh, when I, for all those years here and at other, other churches. It's like every time I blink my eyes, it was Saturday night, you know. But now I have all this time in between two, three weeks to prepare a sermon, and I've got way too much material for 30 minutes. So uh, I've tried to reduce it down. But uh, the series that we're concluding today uh, that Doug has been doing is This Is How We Do It. And the um, assignment that he gave me was uh, the, the very important subject of gratitude and generosity. And I will say that over the years, um, one of the hallmarks of Hope Covenant Church, uh, I came in 2000 over in the strip mall, and one of the hallmarks of this church has been uh, a sense of gratitude for what God has done in our lives, right? And a generosity. Um, in fact, I, I, when I came, the church was very small, but that small group of people had, uh, with the help of the conference, purchased this property that we sit on now. I mean, think about that. There was a group, you know, 50, 60 people is all they had then, and their generosity was able to purchase this property. And if they hadn't have purchased it then, we wouldn't have afforded it later because that's, they built the mall and the price corridor and all of that. So it was the right time. And then the generosity of the people over the years to... Uh, build this church, and to reach out to the community with the good news of Jesus. It's, it's just remarkable. So I'm very thankful and grateful to be part of you and to be part of this legacy of generosity uh, that Hope Covenant Church has shown. Um, years ago, back in 2010, uh, we did a ministry called Momentum for Ministry. And our purpose was, at that point in 2010, we had paid off quite a bit of the um, loan on the mortgage, but we still owed about a million dollars. And at that time, we had a church of several hundred, so we had enough people to help pay the mortgage, but we wanted to pay it off quickly because we just didn't like debt hanging over our heads. So we did this momentum for ministry, and it was uh, partially um, building uh, the infrastructure we were adding a staff member and we're, uh, some upgrades to the property. And then the other part of Momentum for Ministry was to reduce debt, pay down the debt on uh, the property. And uh, 
Many of you, how many of you remember Momentum for Ministry? Okay, just a few of you. First service, a lot of people remembered. So um, uh, I, I will say this. Thank you for those of you that were here and that contributed uh, sacrificially to the ministry and has brought us to the place today where our building and our property is debt-free and we can use the money that we get for ministry purposes. But uh, one of the specific uh, uh, families in the church uh, sent me a letter when we asked everybody to contribute. And again, we didn't ask for equal gifts. We asked for equal sacrifice. Um, And uh, this one family wrote me this note. Uh, Dear Pastor Duane, in gratitude for Jesus and what he has done in our lives, and for this church and what the church has done in our lives, we have decided not to buy a new car, but instead to give to our church to further the kingdom of God. That's the kind of generous spirit that was alive then and I trust is alive today. Now, this marriage of uh, gratitude and generosity is deeply rooted in Scripture, as you know. And so probably the best uh, passage of Scripture to identify these two remarkable ideas is in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. There Paul talks about uh, how generous uh, Christians are and believers are. And we're going to look at uh, chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 5. But before I do that, I want to just give you a little background, uh, a little uh, backdrop to uh, this passage. So, Paul has planted churches, and if you can visualize it around the Mediterranean Sea here, uh, planted churches all along the um, uh, Mediterranean coast, and uh, there's uh, Macedonia's over here coming down to where Corinth was planted, and Paul planted all these churches. And so there's a group of churches in Macedonia that um, were very, very poor. In fact, all the churches that Paul planted were poor. Why? Because of economic boycotts. The Roman government hated these Christians and their movement. It was called the Way. They hated the Way because all of these people were finding uh, new life in Christ and just really stirring up a hornet's nest in the Roman Empire. And so, as you know, they were arrested and they were beaten, and uh, they were some were taken to Nero's circus and executed. And so, all this was going on. So, all because of that, all of the Christians were kind of on the down low. They met in private. And uh, uh, they just had no money. They had no jobs and they had no money. So the churches in Macedonia were very poor. 1,500 miles away from Corinth and the bottom of Macedonia, Ionian Sea, Mediterranean Sea, around here to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is now Christ followers that were Jews. Macedonia churches, Greeks that are now Christ followers, Greeks and pagans. And so these people up here heard about this church down here that was having severe trouble, and that's what Paul is referring to. So that kind of gives you a a little backstory to this remarkable passage. Listen to 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 5. Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. Okay, so these churches that have nothing, they're poor, right? They're just barely eating, right? Uh, Verse 2, they are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, and you say to yourself parenthetically, how is that possible, right? How is that possible? They are filled with abundant joy 
which has overflowed into rich generosity. For I can testify, verse 3, that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God has wanted them to. Isn't that remarkable? Out of their poverty, they gave to this church. They didn't even know anybody in this church, these converted Jews down in Jerusalem. Now, I have been a pastor for over 40 years, and I have never had someone come to me, drop to their knees, and beg me for the privilege of giving to the church. It's never happened, you know. Maybe one day it will happen, but it's never happened. Most people say, sure, I don't want to give. But can, imagine the context of this, these believers that were so, had nothing, and they said, we've got to do something for this other church that they heard about. We've got to do something for this church 1,500 miles away. But it's that verse in chapter, uh, verse 2, the second part of verse 2, that says, but they were also filled with abundant joy which has overflowed in rich generosity. Now that phrase, abundant joy, in the original Greek language is translated, you guessed it, gratitude. Their gratitude overflowed into rich generosity. Their gratitude for what? All of their earthly possessions? They had none. Their gratitude for the grace that they had received from God. Their gratitude for being saved for being sanctified, their gratitude, recognizing that their sins had been forgiven past, present, and future, their gratitude for the new family of God that they experienced in all these Macedonia churches, their gratitude for what God has done in their lives, all of that overflowed into rich generosity. So, let me ask you a question. Do you want to experience abundant joy? How many of you? Okay, good, maybe half of you. Um, the other half are saying, I would like mediocre joy or joy's overrated. I don't know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking you're being set up, okay? So that's why you, I think I want abundant joy. Now, yes, you do want abundant joy, I guarantee you. So I want to examine these two concepts this morning, these two life-affirming, life-giving concepts of gratitude and generosity from our text. The first, of course, is gratitude. Uh, last Thursday, we had our uh, crescendo um, picnic at uh, Tumbleweed Park, and we had a wonderful time, and we enjoyed a, a Thanksgiving, early Thanksgiving dinner, and then we sat around our tables, and we did what we called a praise party, and uh, so each person would share something they're thankful for, they're grateful for, a praise, and then we'd go around the circle, then do it again, then do it again. It was wonderful. We had this praise party. By the way... Um, if you are not part of Crescendo uh, because you're less than 60 years old, tough. Um, uh, you can't join until you're 60 plus. Uh, but I know the rest of the church is going, man, they're having all the fun. Well, that's very true. So as soon as you're 60, you come and join us. Um, so, But this praise party, it was just so wonderful to hear everybody just so thankful and so grateful. And sometimes you have to stop and think, don't you? We go through life and there's difficulties, there's stresses, there's problems, there's other things that are going on. And it's hard. And then, but when we pause and think, what do I have to be grateful for? How can I be thankful to God for what he has done for me? 
gratitude. And we love it when somebody shows gratitude to us, right? We do something nice for someone, and they say, thank you, that was so kind of you. So this morning, uh, it's a typical thing on Sunday. I used to do it because I get up really early on Sunday, so I take Sherry her tea uh, in the morning, and I did that this morning. And she was so thankful, and she was all kissy face, and you know, almost too thankful and everything. And I, think, I think she's been seeing, reading my sermon notes, and she wanted to be part of the sermon, you know, that she's, but when you are filled with gratitude, you just can't help yourself but expressing it. But let's flip that around. How about withholding gratitude? Now, we don't usually do this intentionally, right? But sometimes somebody will do something nice for you, and uh, you just forget to say thank you, or you forget to say how grateful you are, and you walk away, and uh, from your mind, you are grateful for what they did for you. You're thankful, but you didn't say it, right? You didn't actually say it. So what does that feel like to that person? What I'll tell you what it feels like. It feels like ingratitude, a lack of speaking, sharing, saying what you're grateful for oftentimes feels like ingratitude. So here's what we want to do today is close the loop on gratitude. When you're thankful for something, when you're grateful for something, say it, express it, show it to another person, to a family member, to our heavenly father, to the church, say it, express it. A couple of weeks ago, we did a pastor appreciation deal. You know, we uh, gave him a little, a little gift, financial gift. And that's a very, I, I can tell you from being a pastor all those years, when something like that would happen, it would just fill my heart with joy. Because there was some years when, uh, at other churches, not this one, of course, uh, when there'd be pastor appreciation and nobody would remember, nobody would think about it. And that was okay, because I'm not doing it to be appreciated, but it sure feels good when somebody says thank you, doesn't it? We need to close the loop, close that gap, because there's a relational disconnect when we don't show our gratitude. Let me say it this way. Gratitude and ingratitude are relationally determinative. Let me say it again. Gratitude and ingratitude are relationally determinative. When you're not grateful to someone, there's a gap in the relationship. They walk away thinking, hmm, I wonder if they truly were grateful for what I did for them, or I wonder why they didn't say thank you. Now, we don't have to have that, but there's something about saying it, doing it, expressing it that brings that relationship together. Our hearts gravitate towards gratitude. Don't let anyone outgrateful you in your family. Don't let anyone outgrateful you in your church. I remember so many times uh, after a Sunday morning service, uh, people would say, Pastor Dwayne, thank you for that message, and they would say something about it. And I, would, I, I wouldn't know what to say, so I'd say, oh, okay, well, yeah, th- uh, yeah. And somebody told me once, no, just say thank you. <laughs> Don't stutter, don't, you know, just say thank you. Some, you close the goop, you close the loop on gratitude. Now, in the first service, uh, I spoke to our teenagers. Now, the teenagers are now having their class over here, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to say the same thing to you because this is apl- applicable to you, but this is what I told our teenagers this morning. I said, you guys, if you want to experience more yes then know at home, be grateful. Be grateful out loud. Say it 
express it. Tell your mom, thanks for breakfast. Thanks for a ride to school. Thanks for all you do to me. If you want to hear more yes than no at home, be grateful. Why? I said, well, here's why. First of all, they deserve it because teenagers are a load, right? And secondly, if you are grateful to your parents, it'll melt their hearts. Be grateful. Now, that applies to all of us. Not, you're not teenagers anymore. At least I don't see any, but it applies to all of us. When you are grateful to someone, your wife, your spouse, uh, your friend, somebody at work, somebody at church, it melts their hearts. So let's look at a passage that kind of helps us close the loop on our gratitude. Uh, Luke chapter 17, you know this story well, most of you that are church people, Bible people. Uh, here, um, Jesus is speaking, and it's such a beautiful story that uh, you almost, it almost takes your breath away. So listen to this, uh, Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19, and I'll pause halfway through. As Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. That was kind of no man's land. Don't go to Samaria. That's where all the bad things happen. Um, as he entered a village there, 10 lepers stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. Let's pause right there. So lepers, um, it's an awful disease. Uh, they used to have a leper colony on the island of Molokai, right, in the Hawaiian Islands. And uh, in Jesus' day, lepers were kept completely separate from all other human beings. They had no one else to be with them or minister to them or love them except other lepers. And here's another interesting part about these leper colonies. Um, there was no racial or political issues because they were Gentiles, Jews, pagans, people that had money, people that didn't have money. All of these people were thrown in together and they got along. Why? Because when you are with a group of people where you are diminished, pain, suffering, alienation, all those other things, racism and political position are unimportant. You're just trying to survive and you're trying to survive together. Maybe that's a good lesson for us today. So these people, these lepers are there, and all of a sudden, now by law, you had to cry out, unclean, unclean, when somebody started approaching you. You had to throw your hands up and say, unclean, and that told them, uh-oh, there's lepers, stay away. But in this case, they didn't do that. Somehow they recognized Jesus, they, they'd heard about his teaching, or maybe they heard him teach before they got leprosy, and so they knew about Jesus. And so they threw up their arms, and, 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 and they said, Lord Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Okay, that's quite a, quite a deal, right? And, um, and, and look what happens uh, next. Uh, by the way, these um, lepers, it was an awful disease. When you got it and it was severe, literally your flesh was falling off the bones. And they had to wear face masks. This is pre-COVID, right? They had to wear face masks. It was awful, a terrible disease. And so... Um, uh, Jesus said, I want you to go and show yourselves uh, uh, to the priest. 
show yourselves to the priest. Now, these lepers had always heard the phrase, go. It was always, go away, <laughs> stay away. In this case, Jesus said something different. He said, go and show yourselves to the priest. Now, why did they do that? Well, by law, if you were a leper, uh, if you felt like you were cleansed or you were better, you had to go and have the priest okay the fact that you're before you were folded back into society. So the only recourse they had if they thought they were getting better from their leprosy was to go and see a priest and have him, you know, give it a rubber stamp, say you're, you're good to go. But these people all had leprosy, all 10 of them. And Jesus said, I want you to go. And as they went, they were healed. They weren't healed before they went. As they went towards the priest, they took that step of faith. Talk about a step of faith, right? As they went, they were healed. And then one of them turned around. Look at verses 15 and 16. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. That's interesting. He says this, because there, there were others there that were Jews and some that were pagans, and yet they somehow all lived together. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. Isn't that beautiful? This one leper, former leper, closed the loop in gratitude. He came back and he said, thank you. And there you have this man in front of Jesus and they have now this relationship, this face-to-face. -face. I'm so grateful. In fact, it says he fell down on his knees before Jesus. Jesus helps him up and looks him in the eyes. Go now, your faith has healed you. Now, were the other nine, by, in the Greek, it's really interesting. When it says, the other, were, were the other nine? In the Greek, it says this. It says, nine, dot, 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 where? Question mark. Where, where are the other nine? Weren't they also healed of leprosy? Now, do you think those other nine were ungrateful? No. I'm sure they were filled with gratitude. I'm sure they were thrilled. Oh, can you believe it? We're healed. We're going to the priest. We're going to be folded back into society. It's so amazing. And that Jesus guy is such a great guy. I mean, he healed us and we're so... Th but they didn't close the gap. They walked away without saying thank you and experiencing that relationship of gratitude. Now, three observations about gratitude. One is this. Unexpressed gratitude feels like ingratitude. So you say, someone, you do something nice for someone, and then they walk away, and you think to yourself, hmm, I mean, I, I don't need to be thanked, but sure would have felt good. I wonder if they didn't appreciate it. I wonder if I gave them the wrong gift. I wonder if they didn't know that I care about them. So this person, to what this person, that's, that's just walking away, says, oh, I am grateful. I'm thankful for what Dwayne did for me. They, they're saying that in their head. They are. But if it's not expressed... To me, it feels like ingratitude. A second thing, express gratitude to others, to your church, and to your God. Say it, show it, express it, close the loop on gratitude. And the third thing is this, gratitude 
overflows into generosity. The churches at Macedonia, how beautiful was that? So um, last, uh, last week, I think, or the week before, Sherry was on the phone with our granddaughter, McKenna. Uh, she's just turned 21. Uh, she's graduating from college uh, in December, and just a beautiful young woman, and she and Sherry have this really close relationship. And so they were talking and laughing and everything, and after Sherry hung up on the phone, she said, yeah, I, I just love that girl so much. She's beautiful. She's a Christ follower. I'm so grateful for her. I'm so thankful for her. And then she said, I just want to give her everything. And I thought to myself, okay, time out. Okay. <laughs> we still have to pay our mortgage, you know, and we still have stuff we have, you know. But, but that's the heart. She was so thankful for this granddaughter. I just want to give her everything. So she put a bunch of stuff in a box and mailed it to her for her birthday. But I just want to give her everything. Isn't that the way our hearts should be towards God? I just, I just want to give him everything. I just am so thankful. I'm so grateful. I want to do everything for him. So these churches in Macedonia had nothing. But out of their extreme poverty came rich generosity. They were filled with abundant joy, with gratitude, which overflowed into rich Generosity. So let me ask you this question again. Do you want to experience abundant joy? Raise your hand if you do. Okay, there we go. Now we got the majority of you that time. Do you want to experience abundant joy? Well, the first thing you need to do is to close the loop of gratitude with others, with your church, and with your God. And that brings us to our second big idea, generosity. Now, there's many ways to be generous, right? To be generous with your time, to be generous with your resources, to be generous with the gifts that God has given you. All of these are ways, but I want to speak about just one specific way of being generous, and it's the context of our text in 2 Corinthians, and that context is financial resources. How to be generous with our financial resources. So that's what we're going to speak about. Um, now, Ushers, lock the doors, okay? I know this is the time when people say, okay, I need to get out of here real fast. No, no, believe me, l- let me tell you this. I am not trying to take something away from you. The church never is trying to take something away from you. The church is trying to give you something. Give you something. Generosity. Peace. Peace that passes all understanding. When you are in control of your money and your money's not in control of you, it gives you freedom. So we're trying to give you something, not take something away. So... I'd like you to use your imagination. So tomorrow morning you wake up and you go online to check your uh, Chase account or your Bank of America account and you notice that there's a new entrance into your checking account and it's the exact sum, and it's a huge number, the exact sum of all the money you have wasted in your life up till now. Now, those of you that are older like me, that's a big number. I mean, a big number. Bad habits, consumer debt, things that I think I had to have when I put them on a credit card. Uh, Whatever happened to that thing that I have no longer? What happened to that? Those clothes that I wore one time and I didn't like the way they fit. Bad investments, gambling, $7 coffees. I mean, all of these things. And let's say all of your bad investments are now in a checking account put in your account, this huge number 
And here's the trick. You can only give it away. Okay? Now, hold on to that thought. We'll come to, back to that at the end of the message. I mean, wouldn't that be awesome? If you had that bit? For me, I was just kind of generally, I mean, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars in my, in my case. You know, money that I've wasted. You know, gambling and bad investments, things like that. That's a big number. Wouldn't it be awesome if I could, okay, that money, I can give it away now. I can bless somebody with that. So hold on to that thought. That would be truly generous giving. So how do we live generously? You might say, I'm, I'm generous. Uh, two weeks ago, when we had a communion, I, um, we had a benevolent offering, and I, I took out my wallet, and uh, along with the butterflies, there was a five in there, and I put that $5 bill in the offering. But I'm generous, okay? Good. That, that's, that's nice. That's nice. Or a few weeks ago, Judy, uh, Julio and Katie Azasa were here, our missionaries from Colombia. You got moved. Uh, that they were doing a great work in Colombia. I want to be part of that. And so I'm, I'm giving $25 a month towards their ministry. Again, that, that's, that, that's a good thing. Uh, that's, a, that's a wonderful thing. But here's the trick. Living generously is not about random acts of giving. Random acts of giving are giving out of ought or should or what can I afford or how much do I have on me uh, they're, 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 they're not so much about generosity. It's about what can I do to assuage some of my guilt, right? Generosity is completely different. Generosity transcends the impromptu, random acts of guilt giving. It transcends guilt giving, the I should or I ought. It transcends that. Let me, let me make you a promise. Here's a promise. When you become a generous giver, you will give more, save more, and consume less. Now, I have never in my life met an unhappy, generous person. I've met a lot of unhappy, rich people. In fact, most of the rich people I know are unhappy, but I have never met an unhappy, generous person. The promise of God in 2 Corinthians, abundant joy flows into rich generosity. So let me share with you some generosity myths, kind of identify what generosity is not. The first thing is this, uh, generosity is spontaneous. There you go. Generosity is spontaneous. No random acts of giving is spontaneous. Uh, spontaneous is I feel uh, guilty or I feel good about wanting to do something, but I don't have many resources, so I'll just do this. You know, that, that's, that's good, but that's not generosity. The second one is this. Generosity is determined by cash flow. How much is in my wallet? How much is in my checking account? Uh, what can I afford? Uh, those are all good questions to ask, and we've all asked those many times, but that's not generosity. How about this? Generosity, it's the amount that counts. Now, we know that's not true, right? We've heard all our lives, uh, equal sacrifice, not equal giving. Our government should understand that concept too, by the way, equal sacrifice, not equal giving. And we know that from the scriptures, right? In Luke chapter 21, uh, Jesus describes this scene. Uh, they're walking to the temple. The Pharisees go first because they have the beautiful robes, their phylacteries, they're beautiful, they're gorgeous, they're wonderful, they're rich. They come in and they dump big bags of coins in the coffers, the offering, and uh, make a lot of noise because the coffers are copper. And uh, then the widow comes in and uh, Jesus says, I notice her. 
and she drops in two little copper coins. It's the equivalent of about a half of a cent, okay? Two little copper coins. And then what did Jesus say? You know what Jesus said in response to it. This woman has given more, listen, than all of the rest of them put together. How is that possible? A half of a cent versus thousands of dollars. Well, she gave more of herself than all these others. I mean, what can we afford? That's really not the question. But equal, sac- equal gifts, uh, not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. So it's not the amount that counts, but it's the heart and the giving of that. So, and then the last uh, myth is that rich people are generous. Uh, that's a myth. Uh, rich people are what? They're rich, <laughs> and generous people are generous. And almost never, almost never do those two coincide. Demographics. Did a study, not recently, read a study. What demographic in the United States, as a people group, give more to church than anyone else? It's single black mothers. Give more percentage of their money, and many of them are working two or three jobs to raise their families. Give more to the church than anyone else. Who gives the least amount? Single, white, rich males give the least amount. Why? Because they believe they've made the money. They believe the money's theirs. They believe that they earned it. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, beware lest you say in your heart, the power of my hands and my mind has gotten me this wealth. Now, everything we have is a gift from God. People that don't have much recognize that. The church at Macedonia recognized that. Everything we do have, the grace of God, the love of Jesus, forgiveness of sins is all ours. So how can we not do anything except outpour what little amount we have to help another church? Rich people are rich. Generous people are generous. So let me give you a definition of generosity. And I, I, I borrowed this from Andy Stanley. It's kind of clunky, but I still like it. Here's a de- 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 definition of generosity. The premeditated, calculated, Designated emancipation of personal financial assets. That's the definition of generosity. Let me read it again. The premeditated, calculated, designated emancipation of personal financial assets. In other words, when you free your money, you are free, you free your life from money. Too many people, somebody told me after the first service, said, back in 2006, um, I heard a sermon on, right here in this church on giving, and my wife and I started tithing, and he said, since that moment in 2006, we have never again worried or stressed about money. Isn't that incredible? Ever since then, we have not stressed about money, and yet so many believers, so many Christ followers still are in that position. So, I want to help you with that definition, understand it. So, uh, because what we're, again, what I said earlier, what we're trying to give you, we're not trying to take something away from you, we're not trying to take your money. We're trying to give you something. Give you freedom, joy, not just joy, but abundant joy, which some of you want, or normal joy. Happiness, peace, freedom from worry, filled with abundant joy. So, the definition. First word is premeditated. So years ago, um, we did a skit. Remember, anybody remember Doug Carroll? Doug used to write a lot of skits in our church. 
And one of them was the, my favorite one ever, forever. I didn't have time to put that together uh, for today's service. But So Doug had sat down at a table right down here, and he had a big, beautiful cake, one of those round two, three-layer cakes, and it was gorgeous. And, and then he had a whole lineup of people, and uh, the first person had a, a, a sign that said tithe. Okay? Okay, good. Mortgage, second person. Car uh, uh, cost. Uh, insurance. Um, you, know, you know, health insurance. Uh, utilities. Uh, phone. New phone. Upgraded phone. You know, so, so all the whole long line of people waiting to get their piece of the cake, right? But the first one in line is tithe. And Doug said, oh, this means so much. This matters more to me than anything else in the world. I want to give my part to my church to build the kingdom. That's what I want to do. That matters more than anything else. But I still got to pay my mortgage. I got to cover my nut. I got to make sure I've got enough. So uh, tithe, if you wouldn't mind just taking, just step back a couple of people. Let me take care of these first big items first. So mortgage, big chunk. You know, car payment, another big chunk, you know, and like that. And then here comes tithe again. That matters to me more than anything else. I, I, I just want to give. I want to be a generous giver. You know, that ma- but I'm not quite sure how much is going to be. So if you just can't, in fact, go, go to the end of the line. We'll, we'll get to you in a minute. So you go through all the rest, you know, uh, insurance, um, phone, new phone, upgraded phone, and all of that. And when finally there's nothing left but the tithe, oh, thank God you're here. I can... And there's nothing left on the cake plate but crumbs. And so Doug just took the crumbs, poured them like that, and handed them to Ty. And he just goes like that. Walks. Christ followers, that can't be us. Come on, that can't be us. God has given you everything. He has given you the ability to make a buck. He has given you the ability to think, to have a job, to do something that is worthy, that's worthwhile. He has given you everything. He has given you grace. He has given you mercy. He has given you forgiveness, past, present, and future. He has given you everything. First piece of cake belongs to him. That's an Old Testament concept that Jesus said over and over again, this really matters. Because in the Bible, Jesus didn't talk about anything more than money except love. Number two was money. He knew where we needed help, right? And how many people do this? God, I'm out of money. I can't even pay my mortgage this month. I lost my job. I need help. Well, and God wouldn't do this because he's got a lot more grace than I do. If I were God, I'd say, well, you might have thought about asking me 10 years ago. Because you haven't asked me to be involved in your money until you're out of it. Invite God into your finances. Invite him into the middle of your cake. Invite him into your finances, and it will change everything. So, how do we, okay, we're back to premeditated. How do we spend our money? Ron Blue, in his book, Master Your Money, uh, says this is how we spend our money, and if you, when you see the list, you'll agree, okay? Uh, we spend it, we repay debt, we pay taxes, we save it, and then we give it to God and others, right? Here's the problem with that list. Spend it, that's me. Repay debts, that's stuff that I <laughs> borrowed on, that's me. Pay taxes, that's the government, they're not going to let you get away with that. Save it, that's me. And then finally, give it to God and others. 
How is it that we have put me, 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 me in front of everybody else and in front of God? That's where we, as Christ follows, we have to change that whole idea that God has given us everything. We need to give him our first fruits. Jesus said, I want you to love each other as I have loved you. And how do we love each other? As, God, as Jesus loved us, he gave everything for us. Everything. He gave his life for us. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Invite God into your finances. Give him that first slice of cake. You see, when you're kingdom people, and remember you're kingdom of God people, not kingdom of man people. Um, when you're kingdom people, you think differently. Uh, you don't think about me first, but you think about how can I bless God and how can I bless others? How can I live generously? So premeditated, it takes a plan. Now the second part of our definition is calculated. This is where we pre-decide. Uh, my dad uh, was um, 16 years old when he joined the Navy during World War II, middle of World War II, 1943. And so he comes out as a war veteran at age 19 in 1946. And um, he and my mom have known each other since they were children. They've been writing letters. So he was going to get married. So he got married to her right away. Doesn't have, a, doesn't have a high school diploma. Doesn't have any college degree. Just a war veteran, right? So he starts going to school at night, getting his GED. And then he worked as a milkman, drove a milk truck during the day. And that's what I remember growing up, all my growing up years, all until high school. Uh, he was a milkman. And uh, so we didn't have much money. I remember one year in high school, all I had was one pair of jeans and two shirts. And my mom would wash them every night, because that's all I had. But so we didn't have much money. But here's what my dad did do. 20% of his income, he gave away. 10% always to the church, because he believed in the local church like I do. And the other 10%, he gave away to other things. He and my mom decided what to give away to. So now, I recognize that this may be, sound hard for some of you, but this is really kind of easy for me because I was raised this way, right? So I know what it means to actually calculate what we want to give away. So Sherry and I do basically the same thing. We try to give away about 20% of our, our assets. A 10% always goes first and foremost to the church. And then we're able to decide where to give other money, how we feel. Now, how do you decide where to give other money, right? Um, that's what we're going to talk about in a moment. But first, on the calculated, let me talk to this about, about this. So calculated. Dave Ramsey, Crown Ministries, Ron Blue, all say the same thing. Live on 70% of your income. Give away 10%. Save short-term 10%. Save long-term 10%. Live on 70% of your income. Uh, the average American lives on, not 70% of their income, the average American lives on uh, 106% of their income. That's why we have so much debt, right? It's not just our country, you know, our government that's in debt. We've showed them how to do it. <laughs> this is how you get in debt. And so, so live on, but how, Pastor, I can't live on 70%. Well, if you lost your job and got a job at 70% of your income, you'd figure it out. So I know I'm being a little hard on you, but figure it out. Live on 70% of your income. 10% goes to the church. 10% short-term savings or giving it away. 10% long-term savings. Calculated. You have to have a plan, and you have to decide in advance how we're going to do that. My dad uh, used to give us allowance, and our allowance was a dollar a week, 
which in the 1950s wasn't bad, right? And, but he'd give it to us in what? Dimes, right? Dimes. Because 10 cents goes to the church. It goes in the Sunday school offering. It goes in the church. So he designated, he knew, he knew as children, he, we needed to be taught that the first piece of cake goes to God. Always the first piece of cake. So calculate what you're going to do. I know this is going to be hard for some of you. And maybe you need to start, take this in increments. Maybe you start giving 1% of your income. But I will give, I used to give this, uh, this promise. I can't do it anymore because I'm not the pastor here. But I think that he would still do it. If you start tithing and you run out of money, call the church and we'll give you your tithe back. All the years I was the pastor, no one ever called back. And I know a lot of people started tithing, like the couple I saw after the first service, okay? That's just a problem. I can't guarantee that because Doug's not here and he might not like that idea. So calculated. Next thing, designated. I believe in the church of Jesus Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are one small segment of the body of Christ. We belong to him. We belong to each other. We are the light of the world. We are called to make an impact on our world, and we do it in community together with the gospel. The first fruits go to the church. It's an Old Testament concept that Jesus reiterated over and over again. It goes to the church. That's what we need to, to function. If everybody in our church tithed, we would have so much money, we'd be looking for ways to give it away, okay? So we say, first and foremost, we designate it to the church, to missions, to nonprofits, to our neighbors, to ministries, to crisis, all of these things. Well, Pastor Dwayne, how do you determine where you designate your money? Well, you do it two ways, from a grateful heart. So I give to my church with a grateful heart. And the second way is I give from a broken heart. What moves me? What ministry that I hear about? Katie and Julio Zasa. Um, you look at a picture of, of children that are hungry in Africa. Uh, what moves you? And because you have set aside money that you don't have to say, where can we find? No, you already have money. So I can give to that ministry. I can do that. See, if you don't have a plan, you won't be ready. Now, I know at, at the end of this message, there's going to be a couple of responses. Uh, thank God you can't fire me because <laughs> I'm, I'm not paid anymore. But um, one response to the message will be, well, that's a good concept, but it just doesn't apply to us. Yes, it does. You just haven't applied it to you, okay? So that's one response. The other response is, okay, I'm going to do something. The last 10 years, I've not done it, and now I have this gigantic amount of money that is in my checking account that uh, uh, I, 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 I spent poorly, that I wasted, okay, that money. That I, I'm not going to do that the next 10 years, okay? I'm not starting today. I am not going to have that big cadre of money that I've wasted. I'm going to do it God's way. I'm going to 70, 10, 10, 10 it. I'm going to do it. And it's going to be hard, and that means I'm no more $7 coffees, and I'm, but I'm going to do it. I am going to do it. So that's, you've got a choice of how you're going to respond to this. So if you don't have a plan, you won't be ready. You see, a generous person doesn't feel guilty about saying no. When something comes along at church, and, oh, that's a good ministry, but for me, that's a no. You know why they don't feel guilty about saying no? Because they've already said yes <laughs> to so many things. You can't consume your way to happiness. We've all tried. But you can generous your way to joy.
I'd like to ask the band, if they would, to uh, please uh, come up. When you are filled with abundant joy, gratitude, the Macedonian Christians, it overflows into rich generosity. Let's go back to imagine. So you imagine this large amount of money that appears in your checking account tomorrow. For some of you, maybe teenagers, maybe it's, you know, a few hundred dollars. Young marrieds, maybe 20000 30000 For us who've been around on the earth a long time, it's a lot of money. But that chunk of money now that we've wasted, we don't have anything to show for it, and it didn't really help us at all, we've wasted, that's in our checking account. And now we get to decide where to give it. Isn't that, wouldn't that be an amazing thing? Let me tell you something. You can do that in the next 10 years. Instead of wasting that money, you do it God's way, and you recognize that your heart is so full of gratitude for what he has done for you, that he has saved you, he has sanctified you, he has kept you, he has forgiven you, he has graced you, he has mercied you, he has done all of this for you. And all, when that just is inside of you, it just wells up into this the spirit of gratitude, the spirit of closing the loop on gratitude to God, thank you for everything. And just this welling up of generosity just comes up in your soul. And you have to have a plan to be able to respond to that generosity that's welling up in your soul. That's what this is about today. Imagine giving generously is the heart of the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He gave everything to you. And he desires for us to be so filled with gratitude that we respond to him with rich generosity. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for this church. I've spent uh, many years um, praying and crying and preaching and loving and desiring people to follow you. And Lord, I've been so often blessed by the gratitude of this church, the way that they respond to their pastors, the way they respond to their leaders, the way they respond to each other. And Lord, I've always been so amazed at this church's generosity. We, I don't know that we even have any rich people in our church, Lord, but, but out of their gratitude, they are just overflowed with rich generosity, and I thank you for that. Lord, I pray if there are those here this morning who feels a sting from this message, may they realize that, Lord, that you don't want to take something away from them, but you want to give them something. You want to give them freedom, and freedom from worry about money, freedom from the pain of, I don't know how to pay this bill. And Lord, I pray that as we do these things your way, that you will honor us as you always do. Thank you, Father, for your rich generosity towards me. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.